Today's reading is taken from Psalm 25. You can find this on page number 534. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant for the sake of your name lord forgive my iniquity though it's great who then are those who fear the lord he will instruct them in the ways they should choose they will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. From my eyes, my eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me put to shame, for I will ref- I will take refuge in you. My integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, for all their troubles, from all their troubles. This is the word of God. I'm going to invite Mike to come up now and join me. Just put those down there for you. Many of you, oh, I just lost my questions, there we are. Many of you will know Mike, but um, some of you won't, so um, we're just going to ask Mike a few questions, because Mike's been on a bit of a journey, and so we're going to find out about, about that journey um, and share some news. Uh, Mike, for the benefit of those who, who don't know you, can you tell us something about yourself? Hi, I'm Mike. I am 33. Uh, I live in Papworth, just up the road, uh, husband to Katie Allen Crash and um, father to Matthew. Uh, I was, until last September, head of religion, philosophy and ethics over at um, Compton Village College and was responsible for kind of overseeing the setup of 
the RP course here in Camborne. Um, I've given that up now, but I just teach religious studies to some local secondary schools and some of your children. Fantastic. And you've been um, exploring God's calling um, on your life. Can you tell us something about that, that journey? Uh, yeah. Um, so for just over two years now, I've been um, exploring what, what God's been calling me to do. Um, about six weeks after Katie and I got married, her, her mum died very suddenly. Um, and it was one of those moments where I thought, OK, uh, I need to start listening to, to what God's telling me. And, and it gave me kind of an opportunity. I think God actually really worked through that really hard time to say, OK, now, Mike, this is your chance to start listening to me and thinking about this possible call to um, ordained ministry that had been kind of nagging at the back of my head for for many years, really. So um, from there, I've spent a lot of time talking to lots of people about my prayer life and leadership and my understanding of ministry and all sorts of other things. And that leads us on nicely to um, the fact that in the last couple of weeks, you've been through a fairly significant time. Um, yep. And in your own words, tell us about that time and the news that comes from it. Um, yes, yeah, so in the middle of January, I went to uh, what's called a Bishop's Advisory Panel, which is where the uh, Church of England gathers some people together to look at people who think they might be called into ordained ministry to say, um, yes, we agree that you're called into ordained ministry or not. Um, and I'm pleased and a little scared to say that they've recommended me for ordained ministry. Um, so I shall be starting training in September. It's a bit sad because we'll probably be less... Thanks. So I guess from September, you probably won't see as much of Katie and I, which is a bit sad, but um, that's what God's asked us to do. This is one of those things where we are always sad to lose people we love, um, but it's the mark of a healthy church that we send people out um, into God's wider kingdom, and it's very exciting that we have Beth um, training at Ridley at the moment, and Mike will be training somewhere in come September. Um, there's conversations still to happen, but, um, but so please do support Mike in your prayers um, as he prepares for what will be a big life change uh, for and Katie and Matthew, of course, because you know it's it's a big life change for everyone. Um, so we'll just pray for Mike, and then Mike's going to speak to us um, this morning. Let's pray for him, Father God. We rejoice that you give our lives shape and purpose that you call us to your service and you equip us to do all that you call us to do. We pray that you would anoint Mike with your Holy Spirit, that as he speaks to us this morning, you would minister through his words to our hearts and minds and bring about the life change that you desire in all of us so that we might all know your calling on our lives and we might all live in fuller expressions of that calling. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So, um, when Matthew asked me to speak to you just before Christmas, um, the first thing I did was to commit the classic teacher's mistake. Um, just about every new teacher who, who joins the profession starts off what they do by um, looking at a lesson and thinking, oh, that would be a good thing to get them to do. Uh, that would be a good task to get them to do. That would be fun. Um, 
And I got a little excited and did, did exactly the same thing, thinking, oh, I'll tell that story. I'll, I'll mention that anecdote. That'll be, that'll be interesting. Um, but as every good teacher will tell you, when you're preparing something, the first thing to do is start with the objectives. What do you want people to get out of your lesson or reflection? And then prepare what you're doing around that. Start with the objectives. And as a result, I have one simple learning objective for us today, <laughs> built on this truth that you are deeply, wonderfully, powerfully, radically loved, cherished, and valued by God. Nothing you can do can separate you from God's love in Christ, and it is always unconditionally available and there for you to receive. And if you didn't know that already, please come and have a chat with me or Matthew or Linda or someone after the service um, so we can tell you a bit about that. Our objective, therefore, is perhaps to reflect a bit upon how we can best open ourselves up to, to living in God's love and grace. And that's a little bit more tricky. In the corner of the foyer, um, just outside, we have a really lovely production of um, a picture by William Holman Hunt called The Light of the World. Uh, there it is there, thanks to the technology, you can't see it, which means I really encourage you to go and have a look at the actual version we have outside. But um, it's, it's rather lovely, um, and go and, go and take a look at it after the service, it, it's fantastic. Um, it depicts Jesus there holding a lamp, the light of the world, um, and he's knocking on a door, and that door represents you. It represents your heart, and it represents the call that Jesus makes to all of us to come and follow him. Uh, you can't really see it on this image now, but um, if you go and have a look, you'll notice that the door doesn't have a handle on the outside, because it's a door that can only be opened from within. And the truth is that many, and I certainly include myself in this, um, can find it pretty difficult sometimes to kind of fling our doors open to Jesus um, because we're scared sometimes. We're scared of what Jesus might ask of us. We're scared that he might ask us to go and do things outside of our comfort zone. That's certainly why I've been avoiding a call into ordained ministry for about 10 years. We're scared that perhaps we might have to confront things about ourselves that we don't like, and I've certainly had to do that as well. But unfortunately, I'm afraid to say, opening the door to Jesus, to let him in, is the only way we can fully live in the power of God's love and grace. Now, you might be starting to wonder what anything of this has got to do with Psalm 25. Um, it has been said that education is everything that's left over when you've forgotten what you learned at school. <laughs> the real marks of education aren't knowledge or knowing a load of facts or um, things like that. A good education, and the mark of it, is character. Habits of the heart and mind that stay with you for life. And in a similar vein, just out of interest, ministers in the Church of England, they don't go through a process of training. They go through a process of formation. The time is spent not just learning about the Bible um, and developing partial skills, although all of those things are really important. The main purpose of ministerial training and education is the development of character, development of love for God, development of love for God's people, and the habits of the heart and mind that support that. When looking at Psalm 25 then, with that kind of vision of education in mind, I was really, really struck again and again that the emphasis on teaching me, showing me, guiding me in God's commandments. David isn't there wanting just to be told what God wants of him. 
He wants to really know it on a deep level. He's asking God to form his character in ways that will really write God's words onto his heart and form his identity. And actually, the whole structure of Psalm 25 is a Hebrew acrostic poem that seeks to enable people to really commit these words to memory and into their heart. What I want to get to here, I suppose, is the idea that we need to be formed. We need God to work in us to build character and habits that will sustain us as we face the sometimes scary prospect of opening the door to Jesus a little bit more each day. I don't know about you, but I'm certainly a creature of habit. Um, and the more we can nurture good habits, the more fully we can live in God's love. We like to talk about ourselves as being free and having free will, but the truth is that a lot of the time we do things out of habit and routine. And that's not a bad thing, but it means we do need to focus on how we can develop good habits that will really sustain us. So the first habit um, I think we all need to develop is a proper routine of daily prayer and scripture reading. And I'll be honest, and this is something I've always found really, really difficult. And I've only properly got to grips with it in the the last six months or so. I'm sure everyone has different approaches to these things. And I've certainly found the discipline of having a set routine of prayers and scripture reading. Um, That really works for me. Others might prefer Bible reading notes or just manage to pray and read the Bible on their own. And that's really rich for them. Brilliant. It doesn't work for me. I need discipline. Um, But however you do it, it's a discipline worth persevering with. I'm I'm actually kicking myself for not starting it sooner. I've listened to so many talks over the years who've encouraged me to to develop good habits of Bible reading. I've always thought I'll do it tomorrow. Um, I'm kicking myself for not doing it today. Because actually, I've met God in that discipline. Prayer and scripture equip me for perceiving the movement of God in my day-to-day life. As verse 25 of the psalm says, my hope is in you all day long. It's not something I just do in the morning, it's something that stays with me for the rest of the day. Images and phrases from the scripture I've read come back to me during the day and help me put events into context. Above all, it gives space for God to form me and to write himself onto my heart. Some of you might be a little bit uncomfortable with me referring to prayer and scripture as a discipline or a habit, um, because, of course, we would hope that these things are something that emerge out of a genuine desire to meet God every day. But the truth is, I and some of you probably don't wake up every single morning with a burning desire to meet with God. Sometimes I actively avoid it. I, I, don't, I just don't wake up every morning thinking, yes, I really want to meet God today. Sometimes I do, but probably it's more often than not that I don't. You know, it's, there's always other pressing things on. There's a meeting in the diary. There's a child that won't cooperate that takes my time. It's not easy. And this is where the importance of habit and discipline come in. And actually, it's strangely, it's often when, I, when I'm, I'm praying out of habit or routine or discipline that I most encounter God. Because I think God honours that. The habit and discipline make me open the door to Christ even when I don't particularly want to. And this is the power of grace, I think, 
getting what we don't deserve. Because it isn't about what we do. It's about what God does for us. It's not about what we do. It's about making space for what God does for us. And good habits of prayer, I think, make space for grace in our lives, even when we don't particularly want it. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I need that. Uh, let, let's think about another habit. Um, I'm not a big fan of Rick Warren and his purpose-driven books. Um, but one story about him has really stayed with me, and I really, really hope it's true, um, although I haven't managed to find any evidence that it's true. It's a great story, nonetheless. Um, early on in their marriage, Rick Warren and his wife were reported to make a decision that throughout their married life together, they would commit to always increasing the amount of money they gave away as a proportion of their income. So when times were good, they'd be giving away more and more. When times were bad, maybe they'd give less in absolute terms, but would make sure it was always a higher proportion of their income every year. And eventually, as you may know, Rick became an incredibly wealthy man. He sold a lot of books. And as a result of that, they were in a position to give away some 90% of the income that they had. And this this emerged, that they were incredibly generous with with the money that that came into them. Um, And when it came to light, someone challenged Rick and said to him, look, it's it's easy for someone like you to give away 90% of your income. You've got so much money. It doesn't really matter to you that you're giving away 90% of your income. It's no big deal that you're, you're giving so generously. And Rick Warren's response was quite clear. He said, it was only their commitment to the habit of giving money throughout their lifetime that enabled them to give so generously when they had it. It was only that they'd started when they were young, having that discipline, forming that routine, forming that habit, that when they did have money, they were able to give it. How many of us think, when I get that pay rise, then I'll give a bit more money? When I've paid off a bit more of the mortgage and feel a bit more secure, then I'll start giving away a bit more. I suggest that unless we commit to sacrificial giving now, when perhaps we don't feel we can afford it, we won't give sacrificially when we can afford it. Giving itself, I think, has two massive benefits. Firstly, and obviously, it helps to support the recipient. And I'm sure all members here will be aware that um, we do have a budget deficit and, and we need the money. We're not putting Matthew in a Mercedes, but we do need money for the basic running of this church. Um, but secondly, and probably more importantly, sacrificial giving forces us to become less reliant on ourselves. It forces us to become more reliant on God. In other words, it's a way of opening ourselves up to grace, opening the door to Jesus. Malachi 3 offers a fairly direct challenge here. God says, bring your full tithe to your temple, to the temple. Test me in this and see if I don't open up heaven itself and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. This isn't a prosperity gospel. If you give loads of money to the church, you're not going to get loads of money back. But it is a promise that you'll be blessed in all sorts of ways. Give sacrificially. Turn back to God and rely on his promise to be faithful. Give God the opportunity to lavish his grace on you because it's hard for God to lavish his grace on you when you're so reliant on yourself. 
Okay, none of this is a magic bullet. There's no quick and easy way of developing a wonderful relationship with God. But these things that have helped me um, have helped me. They might be unhelpful for you, but then perhaps you have lots of things that help you and really help you develop your relationship with God. And, and if so, please, please share. Um, whatever you do, though, please develop good habits of the heart which will sustain you when the going gets tough. Or as Paul puts it in, in 1 Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Um, one final thought is make yourself genuinely accountable. Proverbs 25 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. It's hard to develop good habits on our own. So try and make yourself really accountable to other people for how your habits are growing. I've already confessed that I've found developing a good habit of prayer really, really difficult. I just, there was always something else to do. And so I asked my wife to hold me accountable for it. Um, and I didn't really appreciate at the time what I was asking her to do. Because she would regularly, she, she was really faithful to me in this, and she would regularly say to me at the end of the day, Mike, did you manage to make some time for prayer and reading the Bible today? And all too often I wouldn't have done, because I'd been busy or had something else to do that seemed so important at the time. And so her asking made me feel guilty. And what do I do when I feel guilty? I snap at Katie and say, oh, why are you asking that? Why are you bothering me about this? So that makes the, kind of the whole relationship of accountability really counterproductive and cause tension in our, in our broader relationship. A system of accountability shouldn't be a way to induce guilt in someone else or induce a sense of failure. It shouldn't be something that puts the person you're accountable to into an awkward situation. And our solution in the end, it took us back to primary school. Um, we had to get a sticker chart for me. So every day when I'd spent some time in prayer, I managed to put a sticker on my chart, which was a nice, pleasing reward for me. Uh, and every day, Katie could easily see whether I'd managed to do what I'd said I was going to do. And she could see if there'd been a couple of days where I hadn't put a sticker. And th that would be a way she could gen gently kind of ask about why has that not happened? And it became an easy way in to having those conversations which didn't cause me to get in the mood with her. And she was very pleased about that. Um, and it felt stupid. It felt childish for me. It felt more than a little humiliating at first. But it worked. And it was a channel of grace for me. The flow of God's grace is always there for us to be refreshed, to be cleansed, but unless we make deliberate efforts and form habits that help us into, enter into that flow of grace every day, we risk that grace becoming like a river which we walk alongside and we admire its beauty, but we never get rejuvenated by. So are you accountable to someone? Is that accountability genuine and constructive and gracious? Or is it destructive or guilt-inducing? And if it's the latter... How can you make it the former? I've got one more habit um, 
I find it helps, but I'm going to stop at this point. Um, you can ask me to tell you my favourite joke after the service if you want to know what it is. Um, remember to take a look at the picture in the foyer. It's much better than, um, than that one up there. Um, and for now, let, let's, let's just take a moment of quiet. You might like to quietly invite Jesus into your heart again. Maybe you want to quietly ask God to continue his work in forming you in Christ-likeness. Maybe you want to f- reflect on your own habits and, and where they're good and where they're less good. Or maybe lift up to God the fears that keep your door closed to him. Let's just take a moment. <laughs>